Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. Two PGA Tour events in the book, congratulations to Webb Simpson and his caddy, Paul Tesori. Paul's been on the Jake's Takes podcast a couple times in the past, so I watched them finish at Harbortown on Sunday. Congratulations to both of them. It was an exciting finish. Man, they just tore that place up. That course is not that easy. But as we know in the game of golf now, technology has changed the game. Players hit the ball so much farther. There's no such thing as a par five any longer. And then the other story about length is Bryson DeChambeau. He has been working out like a fiend during this quarantine. I think he's gained something like 40 or 45 pounds. And if you look at him, He looks now like he might be an outside linebacker playing for the Seattle Seahawks, whereas before he was uh, much thinner and much leaner, but he is powerful. He's driving the ball, I think averaging 320 to 325 yards. So technology is a story in the last 20, 25 years, but so is fitness. You look at players like Brooks Koepka and Dustin Johnson, certainly Tiger, Rory McIlroy, and now Bryson DeChambeau, these guys are fit, and they look like athletes. But last week, the other thing that happened at the RBC Heritage, Nick Watney, after a clean week, when I say clean week, no player tested positive for the coronavirus in Fort Worth at the Charles Schwab Challenge. But last week at the RBC Heritage, Nick Watney was tested and tested positive for COVID-19. In fact, I texted Nick yesterday and he is quarantining in a hotel in Hilton Head and he said he's a little bored, but he knows what he's got to do. He's just got to uh, stay in, stay away from people and and get through this thing. Interesting that Nick Watney has it right now. My guest on the podcast this week is the Senior Vice President of player affairs on the PGA Tour, Mr. Ross Berlin, who back in March, he contracted coronavirus and he he quarantined for about, I think, three to four weeks just to be just to be sure and to be safe. And I talked to Ross during that time and I asked him to come on this week and very graciously agreed to come on the podcast. So look forward to hearing from him on the show today. Also, a couple of interesting developments about miking players on the golf course. If you remember back to the the match two where Tiger and Phil played with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and how fun it was to listen to the players. It was fun to listen to the players talk through each shot. And Justin Thomas was out on the golf course with a microphone and he would go up to these players and they would just open up and talk and joke and laugh, and and it was really a lot of fun. It was a great show. But now that the PGA Tour has started again, I think it's impossible to expect that same type of entertainment if you put a mic on a player. And, and let's be honest, these players are trying to win a tournament. In fact, last week, Rory McIlroy and Harold Varner III, they dropped F-bombs, and it was picked up by the big boom mics. And that's what, that's what Brooks Kepka said. He said, I don't want to be miked because 
Basically, if the announcers shut up and listen a little bit more, you're going to hear conversations between players and caddies and also player to player in in the group when they're walking either from the tee or to the green. So good point there. And I do believe it's true, having done broadcast now for about 10 years, we don't always have to fill the quiet time. Sometimes it's nice just to listen to the birds chirping and and the sounds of nature on the golf course. So Brooks is right. Maybe we announcers need to shut up a little bit more. We don't need to talk uh, stem to stern with blah, blah in statistics and things like that. So instead of miking players, which I think is a bad idea, because when you get in the heat of the battle, you just never know. Some guys are fiery. Some guys are dropping F-bombs. Some guys, it's it's no problem. And someone like Kucher, who says, gee, willikers and ah, uh, shucks, which is, which is his way of uh, dealing with the pressure. Or Fuzzy. Fuzzy Deller used to laugh at himself, and he'd whistle. Payne Stewart would chew gum. And, and uh, so there's a lot of ways that you can handle pressure. But in my opinion, miking players, not a good idea. It's a jungle in here, and we all know. Fans are fired up and making sure they show it. They're rowdy and loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. You know, I've been a pretty good ball striker my whole career, and I think one of the strengths of my game has been my driving. I've been pretty good off the tee. I hit a lot of fairways. But I always know that my first drive of the day is going to be a good one, in comfort, luxury, and in style, because I'm going to and from the golf course in my Lexus GX460. I've been a brand ambassador of Lexus now for over 30 years, and in my opinion, it's the best vehicle on the road today. Now, I may have had a few body parts replaced over the years, but that's just in my 65-year-old body. My Lexus needs nothing but routine maintenance, and that's just the way I like it. Well, let me just jump right in and say uh, I'm so happy to be joined now by a good friend of mine who is the Senior Vice President for Player Affairs on the PGA Tour, Mr. Ross Berlin. Ross, thanks for thanks for joining me and joining all of us. And first of all, I want to get into the fact that you were the first person that I knew that came down with the coronavirus, and you have since quarantined and recovered, and I, I trust you're feeling well now. Thanks, Peter. I'm feeling great. Uh, it was a, uh, a long road for me, but uh, I'm sure glad to be on the other side of it. And I'm, I'm delighted to have some IgG antibodies, which makes me feel a, a little bit um, Teflon-like. Now, when you first came down with the virus, uh, did did you feel fluish? Did you did you feel off at all? What what led you to your uh, to the to the test? Yeah, so um, I typically um, travel, as you know, um, I do the West Coast Swing in Hawaii, California, Arizona, California, and Mexico. And uh, typically when we end up back in Florida, it's uh, commensurate with uh, allergy time. And so I, I, I typically 
get allergies when I returned to Florida, and I thought that was the case. But over time, uh, I started getting very uh, lethargic and uh, had a lot of flu-like aches and pains. But I can recall telling my wife that this is not like a flu or a cold that I've ever had in the past. And then um, when I started having a little difficulty breathing and some chest issues, I had some x-rays which determined uh, that I had pneumonia, which I've never had before. So I thought maybe that explained the situation. But at the time, pneumonia and COVID kind of go hand in hand, and the doctor requested a COVID test for me. And back then in March, it took about uh, four or five days to get the test results back. Uh, Just to let everybody know what you do, uh, I see you all the time when I'm out on the road doing television, but Ross basically is in charge of all the players. When players have a problem with oh a certain tournament or with uh, something that goes on inside or outside the ropes, Ross is the guy they call. So, Ross, you're basically traveling with the tour players and like a PGA Tour player. So that's what was a little, little bit scary for all of us when you came down with it because we're kind of all in the same circles together. Yeah, well, we sure are. Um, you know, it's, it is a big family out there, and it's, it's bigger than just players. It's caddies and equipment representatives and agents and managers and, and members of the media and uh, other staff and security, agronomy. I mean, it is. It's, it's a big uh, village, a uh, big community. And so we interact uh, constantly. We're around um, tens, hundreds, even thousands of people in a given week. Now, we've had two tournaments un- under our belt now. Uh, two weeks ago, we had the Charles Schwab Challenge, which was amazing to me that we didn't have one positive test right out of the blocks. That was, to me, a huge victory. Now, this week at the RBC Heritage, we did have one player, Nick Watney, come down. And uh, I've actually texted Nick. And he is He's self-quarantining Steve Wilmot and the entire staff down at Hilton Head is doing a great job, but but I, it's got to be it's got to be scary. You went through it. It's got to be scary for anybody, especially a, a tour player who's now on the road all by himself away from home. Yeah, it is, uh, and we've got a big support group uh, monitoring uh, Nick and and in touch with Nick, and um, he'll be fine. But it is scary because it's a new new disease, and no one really knows what it means long term and uh, whether or not it, t- it can worsen into something that requires hospitalization. We hope and pray that will not be the case. But uh, like you said, Peter, um, it kind of we've given over a 1,000 tests uh, inside our bubble in the first two weeks. And at Fort Worth, at the Charles Schwab Challenge, uh, not one positive, which kind of defies the odds. And then last week, again, uh, one test, Nick's, that turned out t- positive after he had tested negative earlier in the week he started feeling some te- symptoms got tested again and unfortunately be- uh, became positive and since that time that sets uh, forth a protocol in which we interview and identify people who have been in close proximity uh, with Nick and um, those people all tracked down and retested and I'm, I'm really pleased to report that uh, they all tested negative. Well what's different about the PGA Tour which I've played for <laughs> a long time we don't have many home games and we're not like the nba or or major league baseball where we play half of our games at home we're always on the road so when you think of nick watney or you uh you've got to go out to eat you're you're constantly around unfamiliar 
situations and in in a pandemic like we're in it's uh you really have to be diligent and watch where you go and what you do uh no doubt about it and 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 our guys you know our 225 guys who play on the pga tour you know they come from every state in the country and in some of those markets you've got uh high uh incidences of um uh, positives and coronavirus and then you have some other guys who are coming from counties where they may have had one or two cases in in their entirety in the county so you get different perspectives of the disease but we have to be diligent wherever we go and when we go to a place like uh, Fort Worth or uh, which where we were having um, kind of another um, positive emerging positive test and then we go to a place like South Carolina in a, a vacation type place where people are out on the island for the sole purpose of enjoying themselves and having a good time, we still have to follow the same protocols wherever we go. And we're now in the tri-state area up here in Hartford, Connecticut, and um, they are very diligent on uh, all the safety protocols, having gone through a real rough time earlier in the year. Uh, Just for everybody's, I think everybody understands how the tour works, but the PGA Tour is like the big umbrella over a big crowd of people, and each one of the pers- uh, people under that umbrella would be a PGA Tour event. So each PGA Tour event is responsible unto itself, but also responsible to the PGA Tour. So it gives me a lot of comfort knowing we have a lot of smart people, not only in Ponte Vedra, your staff traveling on tour, but the players and their and their groups traveling being very diligent so to be honest with you i was actually surprised when nick came down with it because after what i saw at fort worth i thought hey we're we're back in the saddle things are going to only get better from here now we don't have fans for the first four weeks of the year and hopefully that will change but i think we're off to a good start yeah we are off to a good start and there's no telling um there's no telling how i got covid and I don't believe there's any way to determine how Nick got COVID. I, I know that uh, Nick has been very conscientious since this disease um, started uh, and became commonplace uh, all over the world. He's been very careful. And so how did he get it? Who knows? But um, back to your point, uh, we do have a lot of smart people. We've got a lot of medical experts on staff as well as we've retained for this particular person, purpose. Um, uh, infectious disease experts, but we just don't rely on, on our own people. Uh, we also have great people in these uh, host organizations. We work with them, their authorities, their medical authorities, their county, state uh, folks, and, um, you know, we're not playing unless it's uh, pursuant to an approved health and safety plan. And so that does give everybody some reassurance. Okay, so off that topic, I want to ask you a couple other questions. There's been a lot of a lot of talk lately about players being miked while they play. And we saw in the TaylorMade driving relief match with McElroy, DJ, Matthew Wolf, and Fowler that it was fun. They were miked and they were loose and jovial. And then in the Tiger Phil match with Peyton and Tom Brady, Justin Thomas just walked right up to Phil and Tiger and asked him to talk, him, talk us through a shot. You can't do that during a PGA Tour event. So I think a lot of people are jumping on the bandwagon of, hey, let's mic the players. But it's really hard for the player to do both. It's hard to be jovial and laughing while you're trying to win a major championship event. 
Exactly, Peter. And I'm I'm not a player. You are, and and you understand that well. I I talk to a lot of these guys, and uh, it's one thing uh, to mic up a guy uh, during a charitable fundraising event, and uh, it's another thing altogether to to, to uh, mic up a guy who's in the heat of battle trying to win uh, a FedEx Cup tournament that's going to position him well for the FedEx Cup playoffs. It's going to position him well for the future in terms of eligibility for official world golf rank. There's so much at stake. And so our guys uh, are just the same as other athletes. There's a time and place for it. And sometimes these guys think, you know what, I could could handle being mic'd up on a Thursday or Friday, but they may not feel the same way on a Saturday or Sunday, especially if they're in contention. Now, if they're not in contention, maybe they'd be um, game for something like that. And and then you see other personalities, such as uh, Bubba Watson and Wesley Bryant. Again, they weren't really in contention on Sunday, but, uh, they, geez, they did a, a great job. And I think people really enjoyed their, their banter being mic'd up on, on Sunday. A couple of years ago when I was uh, on the NBC broadcast at a tournament, I'm not going to tell you which one it was, or the player, but the player was in contention to win the tournament. And coming down the last four or five holes, his caddy kept dropping F-bombs. And as you know, we're told when we're broadcasting as a hole announcer to not talk over the players. But after the F-bombs kept being dropped over and over again, the producer of the show said, talk. I want you to talk. I don't want to hear another F-bomb. So we've got to be careful of of not uh, intruding into the player caddy relationship when they're when they're really trying to focus and win yeah yeah it's 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 uh, one of those things that we're constantly uh vigilant about with our players uh they have a certain responsibility as role models and they are they're instantly role models uh, as soon as they obtain their pga tour card uh young young boys young girls uh, men and women all over the world look up to these guys and so we ask them to be vigilant about everything they do when they're inside the ropes or outside the ropes, and that includes their speech. And, and it's, it's yeah. never okay to swear. But you're right. I mean, uh, uh, Brooks made a, a great point this week saying, hey, you don't have to mic us up if, if you just remain a little bit silent uh, when we're getting ready to play. Let the boom mics pick up our dialogue between uh, ourselves, other players, and caddies, and you'll get a lot of information. Unfortunately, if these guys aren't vigilant, you sometimes get the uh, the cuss words, which which quite frankly are unacceptable. <laughs> they are <laughs> acceptable, but sometimes, as you know, because you play a lot of golf, that sometimes a well placed uh, a dirty word can maybe chuckle, make you chuckle just a little bit. I'm not endorsing it, but sometimes it makes us laugh. <laughs> Neither am I, but I agree with you. <laughs> hey, let me ask you one other question before I let you go. I watched this last weekend when Webb Simpson won at, at Harbortown. I noticed on the back of the caddy bibs there are two names, the player's name and then another name. What What is that in reference to? Yeah, it's a great question, Peter, and it's also a great program. What we decided to do uh, with the full support of our, our players and, and their caddies is uh, we wanted to honor a frontline worker within the community where we're playing that week. So. At the Charles Schwab uh, Challenge at Fort Worth, we had the names of uh, nurses, doctors, orderlies on the uh, on the on the caddy bib with the player's name, and it was our way of uh, connecting uh, to these uh, heroes, as well as um, also giving the opportunity for our players to 
actually get in touch with these uh, frontline workers to uh, thank them for the job that they're doing. Uh, you know, we're so fortunate. Uh, we get to uh, be in the entertainment business. We get to uh, play golf. And um, these guys are out there putting their lives in danger to keep us all safe. So what a great program to um, at least recognize some some of the uh, a few of the very many who are out there uh, serving serving all of us. Now that is great. I didn't know that, and maybe uh, maybe I, I will do that when I get back on TV with NBC. I'm going to make that make sure that we mention that because I wasn't aware, and I'm about as uh, involved in the game as anybody. So uh, I'm glad you shared that with us, Ross. Well, thank it, you. It, no, go ahead. Keep going. Well, Peter, I was just going to say, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I, I enjoy seeing you out there. I miss not having you out, and I look forward to the next time when I see you. Absolutely, Ross. Listen, feel, feel good, stay healthy, and I will see you somewhere down the road. I'm a sports nut, and if you're anything like me, the first thing you do every morning is grab your phone and check to see what may have happened overnight in the world of sports. But Mondays are for golf. Once the weekend is over and the golf tournaments around the world are complete, whether they're on the professional tours or in the amateur world, I know I'll find what I need on Global Golf Post. It comes to my email every Monday morning delivering everything I need to know as I dissect what happened over that weekend. It also offers insight and analysis from experienced writers and contributors who are as committed to the game as I am. And it's pretty easy to sign up. Just log on to globalgolfpost.com and you're done. And for even more great content, you can subscribe to Global Golf Post Plus, which takes a deeper dive into the world of golf, exploring the people, places, and things that makes this game we love so intoxicating. And with Global Golf Post Plus, there's no advertising. Use the promo code JAKESTAKES when you sign up to receive 30% off your monthly subscription to Global Golf Post Plus. So remember, globalgolfpost.com. It's everything you're going to need to know about this game of golf. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up. Whenever I play a tournament or actually sit up in the tower and analyze a golf course, I'm always looking at how the golf course plays, and I think you should too. I think there is a strategy with how you approach every hole, whether it's a par 3, a par 4, or a par 5. Now, let's just take, for example, a par 72 golf course. They're generally going to have four par 3s, four par 5s, and 10 par 4s. So where are you where should you be aggressive? Where can you be aggressive? And that basically depends on the golf course. It depends on the holes that you're playing. Now, generally, par fives, that's where you're going to score. That's where you're going to be aggressive. 
Because a lot of times, as we see in the game today, a lot of par fives are reachable in two. And if not, you can get up close, and that's where your short game comes in. I'm a huge advocate of working on your short game, especially from 50 yards and in, because with a good sand wedge, with good creativity, with a good chipping, putting game, you can make a lot of birdies. In fact, it's not out of the ordinary that you see a great round of golf where you birdie all the par fives. So that's four under par right there before you even get started. So I look at the par fives as being those that you can birdie or eagle. You can be aggressive. The par fours are the ones that, depending on the golf course, you've really got to be cautious. You've, you've, got to, you've got to be careful. When I look at my favorite golf course, Pebble Beach, there are some par fours that you can be aggressive on, and there, there are some par fours where you have to just be so careful. And the one I'm thinking of is probably the greatest par four in the world, number eight at Pebble Beach. With that second shot over the canyon, over right on the edge of the Pacific Ocean, all you're trying to do is put the ball in the fairway off the tee and put it on the green just to be able to make a par and move on. I think the three greatest par fours in the world, contiguous par fours, are 8, 9, and 10 at Pebble Beach. If you catch a downwind, yeah, you can be more aggressive. If you catch them crosswind or even into the wind, all you're hoping to do is to get out of there with three pars. So again, the par fours, you hope to make a few birds along the way, but you want to play smart and you want to be cautious. But the strength of a great golf course, in my opinion, is the collection of the par threes. And when I'm playing, I'm always looking first at the par threes. Can I be aggressive? Do I have to be cautious? Because there are some par threes where you can make big numbers. Now, when Jim Hardy and I have done some golf course design, we always put our focus on the par threes. I want them to be competitive. I want them to be interesting. I want them to be a challenge. To me, a par three should strike not fear, but uncertainty into your heart when you get on the tee. And when you when you pull the driver out on a par four or par five, yeah, you can you can whack it, put it in the fairway, put it in the rough. It doesn't matter on a par five, especially because you, if you can't reach the green in two, you hit an iron back in front of the green, put it in the fairway, and you could be aggressive. Same with a par four. If you miss a miss a fairway on a par four, you probably have a chance to get it on or close to the green. But a par three, that's where uncertainty and confusion can really enter into your mind. And some of the great par threes in the world that I've played and that I I know there are other par threes that people can can put forth, but the great par threes that I've competed on, the one that sticks out of my mind is at Royal Troon in the UK, the postage stamp number eight. It's only 123 yards, but you can make, and players have made five, six, sevens, huge numbers. And it's just a little flick of a wedge, but wow, the confusion and the uncertainty that it that could flood your mind is incredible. One of the shortest holes is number seven at Pebble Beach. It's only 106 yards. And for all of you that have played it, it's a downhill wedge shot, just a, a, a little flick of the wrist. But because of the conditions and the wind, into your face, crosswind, downwind, you're just never sure. When the ball leaves the tee, you're just, you're just hoping and praying that the ball gets on the green. At the Masters, when you reach Amen Corner, number 12, that has always been a bugaboo for everybody, and it's cost a lot of players 
a chance to win the green jacket. We see disasters there almost every year. The hole's only 135 to 150 yards, depending on the wind. So it's a it's a nine. It could be a wedge, a nine, an eight, seven. But again, uncertainty. The other one that really sticks in my mind is the TPC at Sawgrass, number 17. The Island Green, Pete Dye's diabolical design, just 137 yards. But when I played in the players, I had my caddy fluff. Just give me a number to the middle of the green. I didn't want to mess with left, right, long, or short. Give me the number to the middle of the green. Now, it's funny, on all these holes, especially 17 at Sawgrass, if you remove the water, it's just a regular little 9-iron, 8-iron par 3. It's easy. But that is where the uncertainty floods into your mind is, am I going to be able to hit the shot that I normally hit on the driving range and put it on this green? Sometimes you think, ah, I, I can't do it right now. Another great hole, I think, is Cypress Point in Monterey, California, number 16. It, it, it's a monster hole. You play from one side of the cliff of the Pacific Ocean over a canyon, over the water to the other side. And it's a big hole. It's about 220, 225 yards. There is a layup area to the left. And that is uh, that has always been certainly a top five golf course for me. And that hole is one of the tough par threes in the world. And the last two par threes happen to be on the same golf course. Shinnecock out on Long Island where we saw the U.S. Open just a couple years ago. Number seven and number 11. Number seven is 185, 190 yards. Severe tilt from right to left. And, and it's not that deep a green. You really have to be precise with your approach, with your tee shot. And number 11, 155, 160 yards uphill, about a half a club uphill. But it is such a small-looking target. I played there last summer, and I thought I hit a really good shot. And I got up, the ball had gone over the green, down a huge embankment, and I made double bogey because the approach, if you miss that green, whether it's a big high flop or you run it up a bank, you're going to make a big number. So whenever you have a chance to play your next round of golf, rather than just go out and tee off, if you're playing and trying to shoot a score, take a look at the course you play. Could be your home course. It could be a course you've never played before. Get the scorecard out. Look at the par threes. Look at the length. First of all, look at the par fives and their length. And I just think your strategy should always be aggressive on the par fives. That's where you make your birdies. Be cautious on the par fours. But the par threes, I think that's where you can really appreciate a great golf course. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?